Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. I'm Ra, and today I am joined with Juno Dawson. She is the author of This Book is Gay, Clean, and now Her Majesty's Royal Coven. Thanks so much for joining me today, Juno. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm even, I'm going to model the American Her Majesty's Royal Coven, which has just arrived this morning. So this is the first time I've had a copy. So I'm very excited. Same. <gasps> Twins. Twins. Um, I actually got it a little bit later, but, or not later, later than I expected, but it got here. <laughs> so that's all that matters, right? Well, wonderful. I'm just so excited to have you here today. Uh, but before we get to the meat and potatoes of the interview, we always like to start with one question with our guests. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to be a feminist? Ooh, well, I mean, that's a, that is the big, the big one. To me, feminism is about coalition. And coalition is the word that I think I've landed on. Because for me, feminism isn't necessarily being friends with every woman in the world or agreeing with every woman in the world. But it is, in, in my mind, the understanding that I would want to come together to support any woman and to be able to work with any woman to release ourselves from our mutual oppression within a patriarchal society. So yeah, coalition is funny. It's taken me a long time to land on the word that I think best describes my ideology of feminism, but I think that's the word that I've come to. I love that. And you can definitely see that come through your book with the word, Soriona or uh, Sororia yes the Latin Sororia Sororia it's a real word but I don't I don't think it's ever been used in this way but yeah that's what that's what Sororia is all about yeah yeah and uh Sororia is just the love between um like a deep love between sisters or witches yes so I gotta say I don't really read fantasy books ever I think the last time I read a fantasy book was a decade ago So picking up this book was definitely a delight and it had me very much hooked. And from my understanding, it's the first of a trilogy. So I'm Mm -hmm. begging for more. I'm excited Mm -hmm. for those two, the two next books. But also to my understanding, this is your first fantasy novel among your other talents. What made you want to dip your toe into that world? Do you know, I, I was starting to become worried that people might think I was a bit normie. Um, I grew up as the biggest nerd in the world in that I grew up on a diet of Doctor Who and horror films, like sort of like the trashier, the better. And then I sort of graduated into Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Star Trek, The Next Generation and Voyager. But many, in fact, most, the majority of my YA novels have been contemporary with sort of no fantastical element. I started, actually, I started about 10 years ago writing sort of teen horror, but genre was it it was a difficult time especially in the horror you know 2012 horror was a very dirty word kind of and so about in 2014 I sort of switched into sort of writing modern contemporary young adult fiction and at the beginning of the pandemic when we were in lockdown I was supposed to be writing a YA thriller and it was just like pulling teeth and I also realized as well that 
the novel that I was supposed to be working on wasn't challenging me because I think this was the sixth or seventh contemporary YA novel in a row. And I was struggling, like everyone was at the beginning of 2020. I don't normally write from home to begin with. And so I was stuck. And my husband said, look, what do you want to write? Even if it never gets published, if it never sees the light of day, we don't know how long we're stuck in this flat. So you might as well just write a book that you would want to read. And so I sort of said, I want to do the Spice Girls, but they're witches. And he was like, write them and you should do that. Just do that. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, I'm a big, big cinema goer and obviously cinemas were shut. So I felt very starved of those kind of like big sort of fantastical Marvel movies or X-Men movies or Wonder Woman. And, and so I wanted to do something that felt that epic a canvas as well. And so I put aside what I was supposed to be writing and the rest is history. Um, and that's, that's how the book came about. Amazing. Spice Girls, but with witches pops mm-hmm. up a lot when you're talking about this, or at least from what I've seen on the, mm-hmm. on the interweb. I also love the Spice Girls and grew up with them. I love them. (laughs) Uh, When they got back together, that was a huge moment in my life. Mm -hmm. But yeah, why, why Spice Girls, but with witches? Because as you go through the book, the female friendship just sort of splinters. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't don't really know. I don't really know where Spice Girl fits in the end. (laughs) Well, the Spice Girls haven't always got along for one thing. Um, I still think they are, it's, there's, I think there's politics within any group of women. I mean, I don't know if you have like WhatsApps, but you know, I, I have WhatsApp groups which are very political spaces. And then there are side chats that kind of run alongside the main WhatsApp group chats. And I think when you have a, a group of girlfriends who came together in adolescence, like the characters in Her Majesty's Royal Coven did, your life takes you in different directions, but you are bonded by that kind of commonality of your upbringing. And, you know, some of some of the groups, some of my female friendship groups, we have our moments, we are sisters, but we fight, we disagree. There've been tense moments there over the last 20 years There have been periods where we, some of us have needed to kind of take a break from other people in the group because we were doing each other's heads in. And I think that's true of the Spice Girls as well. You know, we saw Jerry leave, then they all came back together, then Victoria didn't want to come back. You know, and I think any woman or non-binary person will kind of understand that. I think that actually throughout the years, you know, your friendship group evolves. But, you know, those girls in that group chat, you know, I would lay down my life for them. You know, I, I've got their backs unconditionally, even though sometimes I would gladly throttle them. <laughs> and that that's how it is with, with sisters, either the sisters you're born with or the sisters you find. But I, th- I think, you know, that's something, you know, when, when I sold this book to the publishers, you know, there was this conversation about, you know, they're women first, which is second. And I think while this is a fantasy book, I mean, let's be real, you know, these women can fly, <laughs> but actually it's set in the real world. You know, it's set, it's set in a version of the world we live in. It just so happens that secretly witches exist. So I think any, any sort of reader is going to recognize this group of women. Yeah. And I, I appreciated that it did take 
like aspects of the lockdowns of 2020 in account of their current environment. So sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, sorry, sorry, Debbie. <laughs> we have it all the time. Yes, yes. So who is your favorite Spice Girl? Oh, Victoria. Always. <laughs> okay. You okay. know, from, from 96 onwards. In fact, from Say You'll Be There onwards, as soon as Midnight Miss Suki um, appeared on the scene. And you know what it is? It's because we were the misfits. We were the outsiders. And I think Victoria was an outsider within the outsiders. And I know, I mean, obviously I know I'm going on about Spice Girls, but do you know what? If you weren't a teenager in 1996, you're not going to get it. And it's too late now. And so there will be people listening to this who are like, why does she keep talking about this short-lived British bubblegum pop act? But there will be other people who were there who were part of that time and part of that space who will be like, yeah, I totally get it. You know, and, and I think what's really lovely is now through the publishing industry, a lot of decision makers, a lot of people who are editors, you know, and who are calling the shots were in that bubble with me in the 90s. And and understand that for us, the Spice Girls were really significant. And for me, Victoria was the outsider in that she was had a very different energy to the other four. And so I, I was really, very drawn to that. There was something very queer about Victoria, even though she isn't kind of that I know of. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's just kind of a, a, a little on-topic side question, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, along with female friendship, you do touch on so many other issues on mm-hmm. that are relevant to our world today. And you compare them to a witch hunt. And I love that. What made you want to write about those issues and include those in your book? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a massive spoiler to say that there is a trans character in the book. So actually, yeah, the, the, the thrust of the novel is that there are five witches. They've been friends since they were teenagers. They're adults now. Their lives have gone in very different directions, but they're brought back together by a prophecy. And the prophecy predicts the end of witch kind. And um, so they have to kind of get the gang back together. But the problem is the five women have very different ideas of how to tackle this prophecy. And the prophecy involves a young transgender witch. I don't think that's a massive spoiler. It kind of, it all transpires fairly early on. Um, and that came about, the reason I wanted to obviously include the trans witch was I am a trans woman. And during a global pandemic, the British press still found plenty of time to run very transphobic, very scaremongering, fear-mongering sort of ghost stories almost about trans people. It felt like every single day there was some new scary prophecy about the, what, you know, what trans people are going to do. You know, it's all that kind of like, you know, it's a social contagion. Oh, you know, all your children are going to turn trans if they watch television. Oh my gosh, ban these books. Just the usual super conservative right-wing transphobic nonsense. And I'm not blind to that, you know, I, as, as a trans person in the UK, even as a very successful trans person, it's scary, you know, and it does feel very unfair. It feels like my community is being hounded. It feels like we're being persecuted. It feels like we're being scapegoated. And that's the way witch hunts have always been. You know, if, if you go back to the witch trials of James I in the 17th century, 
you know, the women who were being tried and found guilty of witchcraft, these were homeless women, they were sex workers, they were women living in poverty, they were herbalists or pharmacists, you know, and then down the years, it's it's just the same old nonsense, just different types of women, you know, whether it's black women, gay women, trans women, still sex workers are being talked about, you know, and, and, and I think that particularly in the UK, that's where we're at, which is there are a few more persecuted groups than refugees and trans women, you know, and, and I wanted to write about that because of course it's on my mind, how could it not be? But I wanted to write about it on my terms. You know, I didn't want to do a weighty academic text. Um, you know, it's been done and I think it's been done really well and really thoroughly. Like I said, I started from Spice Girls But Witches, but then within that canvas, I was able to explore the sort of the sociology around inclusive feminism and intersectional feminism. And I think you can do both. I think you can have a rollicking read that also deals with some incredibly serious topics. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote in the book that really stuck out to me that I kind of want to ask about and mm -hmm. where your headspace was when you were writing that. And it's, it's something that Chinara says, mm -hmm. but I don't think women are defined by shared trauma. We are marred by it but I knew what it was to be a girl long before I experienced trauma. And it just really got me thinking about the trauma that people go through individually and how you do see groups trying to almost trauma bond and saying like, that's what makes you a woman. And I don't know, it just kind of stuck out to me and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it and where you were when you were writing that. Thank you. That's one, of, that's one of my favorite bits in the book as well, actually. And I've got a, an awful fondness for Chinara, who is a supporting character, but I think she is an important one and she, she has more to do going forth in book two and book three as well. For me, this book enabled me, <laughs> it's not like we could go anywhere else, it enabled me to do a lot of thinking around gender, feminism and intersectionality. I think I thought really long and hard about including Leonie's perspective. Leonie is a mixed race witch. Um, I am white. But given that the big allegory of the book is about womanhood, who gets to be included, who is excluded, to exclude a black character felt wrong. And it felt like if I was to have excluded Leonie's perspective, that was cowardly. Like it was more me being scared of being cancelled or being criticised for getting things wrong. And and obviously I am opening myself up to criticism, but I would rather take those knocks than to have excluded a, an entire conversation about the role of black women. Um, and Shannara points out during that conversation in which three of the characters are talking about the exclusion of trans witches and the gatekeeping of womanhood, you know, who gets to call themselves a woman? And who gets to decide who the gatekeeper is? And, and I think in that conversation, there is a black woman, a mixed race woman and an Irish woman who all have very interesting sort of perspectives on being able to say, because all three of those women would have been gatekeepered. But for me, Chinara's line about knowing she was a woman prior to trauma is, is a really personal one. 
which is before I knew there was such a thing as transgender, before I knew there was gender reassignment, I just knew I was a girl. And I don't know if you want to call that witchy, if you want to call that intuitive or sentient or cognizant. I just knew it was really simple to me at three or four years old. And that was before I understood that expressing that desire to be a girl was wrong. You know, I, I told anybody who would listen. You know, I, you know, I told my parents, I told my grandparents just, you know, that one day I'm going to be a girl or I want to be a girl or I wish I was a girl. And the thing is with cisgender children, no one asks them, when did you first know you were a girl? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting thought experiment for anyone who is listening to this. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know it more commonly gets turned around is when did you know you were straight? Because obviously LGBT, well, lesbian, gay, bi people get asked all the time, when did you know you were gay? But to flip that question around, I think it's a very interesting question. And that's where Chinara Leone and Neve are at in that scene, which is, you know, you probably never dwelled on this in your life because, you know, you were born a girl. Everybody told you you were a girl and you went along with it and you agreed with it. So in terms of, you know, there's a separate conversation around, you know, is womanhood earned, whereas girlhood is inherited? I don't don't know, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. And and that's why I wanted to include that scene because I, I think whoever you are, however you identify, thinking about your identity isn't just for trans or LGB people, it's for everyone. You know, did you form your identity? Or were you given your identity? And I think that's something really interesting for everyone to think about. My God, that was the longest answer anyone has ever given. <laughs> so sorry. No, don't be sorry. I think it was perfect. And you're so you're so right. Like it's it's scary to question your identity. And like quite yeah, just questioning it just in general feels like you're going against the grain. So even taking that step to want to question it out loud. I don't know. I I have a lot of feelings. I'm going through my own identity situation that is very great. And I'm very lucky that I have a lot of great friends to support me. So the book really spoke to me. And that part really spoke to me in figuring out like, what does it mean to be a woman or a man or a person, you know, like Mm -hmm. you wrote the book in multiple different perspectives. Mm -hmm. As you were saying, you wrote from Leone's perspective that could open up the the opportunity for some criticism. Mm -hmm. Did you what did you have to do to get yourself in those headspaces to write from those different perspectives? Cause it switches pretty, pretty quickly in the mm-hmm. chapters. Yes. Yeah, so it was, it was again, under, underpinning this, what was again, that notion of coalition and different women with different voices kind of working together or not working together as the case may be. And I, I did, I wanted to sort of have those different perspectives they're all me you know there's a lot of me in all of them I always think and I, I say this to other people when when people ask me you know how to respectfully write trans characters and I would like to see cis authors writing trans characters actually because we're not alien <laughs> you know my experiences are very human and so that's where I always start with I start with the similarities before I think about the differences so in many ways Leonie is the character most like me in that we both grew up on housing projects we were both kind of moved into situations we weren't comfortable with. In Leonie's case, she's recruited for the coven. I was sent to a boys' grammar school. <laughs> Great! 
went where it went really well um so you know that's kind of where I drew some of her inspiration from and then and again what what you then do is you when you do reach the things of which you have no lived experience so I've never experienced racism that's when you have to go in and do your research and speak to other people and speak to other writers and importantly I used a sensitivity reader or in fact two sensitivity readers on the book Mm -hmm. as well which in the UK that conversation is quite controversial you know there are some authors who are really against using sensitivity readers but in America it seems to be quite standard and actually because I came from a YA background it's been the done thing for a long time in in my mind you know until editors at publishing houses become more diverse although I'm very lucky in that Her Majesty's Royal Coven a woman of color is my editor at Penguin but until publishing is more diverse I think we should get used to sensitivity readers I think I think you know you write your books for an audience you know and to me any editor is an is a reader and you're you know a reader is going to have an opinion and you want that opinion to be gosh this is well researched and these characters feel fully fleshed and fully human so I I've never resisted being edited because I just think you would you would ignore an editor at your peril look at Mm -hmm. it that way Mm -hmm. well what's what's next for you I know we have two books coming up is there anything else or what's going on (laughs) yeah so I I've just finished I've just finished HMRC2 and that has gone off to the editor so obviously there will be some work to do on that because I've just said you mustn't ignore your editors (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will so yeah I've made a rod for my back there um so there's definitely going to be some work to do on that but as far as I know HMRC2 will be out next summer so there'll be a year between book one and book two. So in America, How Much Is Well Coven comes out on the 31st and then it comes out in a couple of months in the UK. So pretty much all summer, I'm going to be promoting this book. And I, I think burnout is a topic that is very hot in publishing circles right now. And so I'm going to try to be kind to myself this summer. I, I don't really see myself doing anything else other than just promoting Her Majesty's Royal Coven on both sides of the Atlantic and I'm really really hoping this is my little wish I'm going to manifest now I really 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 hope that loads and loads of people in America buy Her Majesty's Royal Coven and then somebody will pay for me to come to America and I can actually do some travel again because I've not really traveled since 2019 now so it'd be really really cool to come I've never been to West Coast America so I've only ever done East Coast so it'd be really really cool see San Francisco and LA and California and do some traveling um fingers crossed please buy my book buy my book available now <laughs> um and then yeah then at some point probably this autumn I will sit down and start thinking about book three but I love these characters so much and so the idea of writing the last book makes me quite sad because I'm not I'm not ready to say goodbye yet mm. It's always hard to say goodbye to characters that feel like your best friends. And it is mm. wild that book tours are starting again. We're <laughs> back. I've, I, guess I was, I was, I've been invited to a couple of things, um, which I could, so there's plenty of, I mean, this is, I live on the cursed island, but you know, we're all just ignoring COVID in the UK now. It's just like, pretend it's not happening. Um, so there's plenty of events over the summer for, how much Royal Coven and we'll keep it really safe but like I said I am hoping I know there are some conventions happening in America this summer so it might be cool to come do some visiting if not in the summer maybe in the 
autumn when things hopefully you know things keep mm-hmm. evolving don't they but we'll see what happens else well any specific events organizations that you would like to uplift or shout out i'm definitely definitely on the see so this is really last minute because if this is going out on the 31st on the 1st of june it's so up tomorrow i'm doing a big online virtual event with barnes and noble i will be in conversation with the fantasy author samantha shannon and I've got some independent ones coming up as well. I think I've got Gibson's Bookstore and another one whose name I've completely forgotten. But if you go to my social media, which is at Juno Dawson, there, is, there, there are plenty of virtual events. And I think most of them are free. So you can come along, register for free and listen to me talk more about the book if you like everything you've heard today. And we'll make sure that we have those links in our show notes so they can just click just to find you. And is there anywhere else that people should look if they want to find you besides? Um, no. No? no, okay. Um, oh, oh well, I, I, can, I can talk about, I have my own podcast as well. If you, if you like oh. Sex and the City, I have my very own Sex and the City podcast, um, which me and my friend Dylan, we explore, we answer Carrie Bradshaw's questions, you know, those inane questions she asked for six years. We answer them through an intersectional <laughs> lens. So it's obviously I'm a trans woman, Dylan is a gay man, and we we answer her questions for 2022 with some amazing, amazing special guests as well from all around the world. So that's obviously very different, but also it's, it's all still feminism. It's all still feminist critique, isn't it? And I love Sex and the City, and I guiltfully watched the reboot but um... oh my god well we did we did we did a weekly podcast I should say the podcast just called so I got to thinking and um yeah we did for our sins we did weekly episodes when I'm just like that was on I must admit when they announced a season two I was like oh god we're gonna have to do it again it's happening again it's happening again but I'm probably going to check that podcast out because that that sounds up my alley and then one last final Mm -hmm. random weird question in sync or Backstreet Boys? Ooh, now you see that's dark because I was so deeply immersed in Spice Girls that I didn't care, do you know? And that's the strange thing. So I, I went on a very strange journey through the 90s in that I was a child of Britpop, you know? So I grew up on Blur and Pulp and I, I like Placebo and I'm a huge fan of the band Garbage as well, fronted by Shirley Manson. And so my music was quite grungy I love Nirvana and then all of a sudden the Spice Girls came along and I was just like surprise I'm queer I love the Spice Girls now and I did kind of love them to the exclusion of all else however if you are asking me to choose between Backstreet Boys and NSYNC I will choose Backstreet Boys I think they just have more bops however I enjoyed the latter works of Justin Timberlake although he he did Britney really bad. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> he really did. And Janet Jackson, he he owed them both apologies, which he did give in the end. He got there in the end. Well, it, it was something that just popped up at me this morning when I was finishing the book. I read a line I and I was like, hmm, I wonder question. what Juno's on. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for being here, Juno. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me occupy your little slice of the internet. Thank you. And we love it and we're here for it and we want more of it. And thank you all the listeners out there. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature.